Butter cakes, cupcakes, and ice cream cakes. Small baby bums and the friendship of puppies. Hey guys, and welcome to a very special episode of Flipping the Pig. I'm Brad Garoon. I'm with Justin Houston. I'm with Kevin Ford. We're going to keep the episode recap short today. There will be four of them because we are we, we just finished watching On the Lamb, the Thursday afternoon episode uh, during the finale, finale. Uh, uh, we're going to recap all four episodes from this week. No comic books or anything else. Uh, it's like an original, it's like a classic flooping the pig. So, Justin, why don't you real quick take us through You Forgot Your Floaties. You Forgot Your Floaties. Yeah, that was an episode that probably aired Monday, given that it is Thursday. I'll be doing the Monday episode. Um, which one was the one with You Forgot Your Floaties? Magic Man. Oh, yeah, okay. The title didn't give it away to me. Okay. Um, so, uh, it starts with Finn and Jake in a field, and they're following um, Grod, Glob, Glob, Grod's helmet that is crashing back to Earth. Now, we know that he died in a big collision, and so, um, with uh, Martin, of all people, and so uh, it, it's crashing back down to Earth, and they're tracking it, and they see that Betty beat to it, and they're like, huh, isn't she dead? And Finn's like, no, dead? She's just, she just disappeared. That doesn't always mean dead. And so they follow her, and it turns out that she's working with Magic Man. And so they try to come up with a plan to, like, uh, go in there and find out what the biz is, but Magic Man gets the drop on him, turns Finn into an egg, and turns uh, Jake into, like, soup. And puts him on a... Uh, on his mantle next to the tiny manticore, who apparently last time just like left and then came back because he has Stockholm Syndrome. So that's that. Uh, and then they go back downstairs, and they're building the device together, both with different aims. Uh, Betty's aim is to find the source of magic uh, to in some way either perhaps separate Simon from the, the, the hold the crown has on him or something. That's sort of what she's working on. Magic Man wants to be able to rule Mars and kind of messed them up terribly, uh, and he needs the helmet to do that, needs her to do that, her magical essence, and this big chamber making. Um, so while they're doing that, and talking very cryptically about the, the origins of magic and, and where these things come from and her own research on the subject, and, and how Magic Man is sort of, doesn't necessarily uh, uh, agree with all of her findings, um, Tiny Manticore is encouraging Finn and Jake that they have to do something. They have to be heroic. And he can't because he's he's just not heroic. He's, he's got Stockholm Syndrome. So uh, Finn wiggles as the egg and tries first. And he just sort of falls down the stairs, I think. And somehow... Oh, he slips through a crack in the floor and just lands in some, like, yeast. Uh, which, that doesn't go well. And then uh, Jake tries to... Uh, actually, Jake doesn't do anything. Uh, tiny Manticore, or the Manticore who's in a bottle, stuck in a bottle, uh, shoves him down as he slides on a picture of who he knows is a woman that's close to uh, um, episodes. They kind of slide down the stairs and he crashes and, and just gets destroyed on the floor and makes a mess while Betty bakes uh, Finn into some bread and mixes the egg in there and puts him in. Um, this chamber, 
seemingly it's going to allow whatever the process is, is going to allow Betty to step inside of Magic Man in some way to look inside him, uh, which he insinuates is uh, empty and pure, um, and uh, you know without a, a trace of uh, you know of, of his being. She won't be able to find anything. He's fine with this, um, and it's necessary to the process. What actually happened? Uh, it, it unlocks this memory of a time. Magic Man, uh, this is after his dead created some sort of uh, gold. We've seen gold before. Get into that in a second. For some reason, they don't really explain, so he's built a defense system. Why they need a defense system that looks like his, his uh, ex-wife, they don't really explain that either. But uh, his brother, Bob, Bob Grodd, uh, Sans Helmet, we see he's a, he's a, a quad ginger fellow, um, says that maybe he's mixing his feelings in with magic and it's going to cause some serious problems. Uh, and he's like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's totally fine. So they go up on this big mountain where she's supposed to be this big protector, but he's really kind of unsure about it and he's really playing kind of a Dr. Frankenstein deal here. And so uh, trying to get to know the beast, but and also, you know, still having some lingering semblance of feeling, or he's just very confused. And in that confusion, it turns out that it, uh, this thing that he created was out of his nightmares. Uh, uh, it's crazy. Uh, the whole kind of dream ends up getting shattered in the process. All the while, it's actually physically getting shattered in the real world, because Finn has baked into Breadfin. Uh, a sort of um, you know doughy bread version of Finn, who is just destroying things at will. He's also fallen on top of Jake and rolled around him a little bit, so Jake's now kind of soaked into Finn. And so they, he just destroys the machine and destroys everything. And um, uh, Magic Man uh, it no longer has any magic at all. He's just a regular goober. He, he lost the magic in the process. But Betty absorbed all the magic abilities, and this uh, this dream or prophetic vision of, of the Ice King of Simon or something like that has given her some piece of information um, that we as the audience can't understand because when he talks, it's mute, and she understands it, and she laughs, and it just disappears into nothingness. Presumably, I have, using to, I have to interrupt you for a second because we do, we do, you can read his lips. He says, you forgot your floaties. Well, there you go. You forgot your floaties. Um, so, big, huge reveal there. Uh, anyway, so uh, she she goes off, and now uh, Magic Man can help Breadfin, and uh, Breadfin goes to Tiny Manicore and says, you, you know, he's kind of talking in this hilarious way. We can barely understand him. And uh, so Manicore flies him to Wizard City, where presumably he's going to get separated and fixed uh, with uh, Jake and put back to normal and we see that Magic Man is wearing the Globgrod helmet he's doing nothing and he says what do you do as a normie? Do you go get smooth? Uh, that's the end of that episode and there's a lot like uh, Brad said to unpack in the details but uh, Kevin what did you Hello? Kevin your microphone's muted no, it's not. I heard kept jib, and then like silence for a while. That's what I said. I said kept jib. All right. Uh, I thought this episode was very bizarre. Uh, again, like you said, just just lots of things to 
wrap your head around. I think of the four episodes we're going to talk today, uh, it's at least the first or second of the two of uh, the four that's the most um, crazy in terms of building the the universe of Adventure Time and leading to things in the future. Um, but I loved the bread version of Finn, and I hope in the finale on Friday we see the bread version of Finn and Jake. Uh, still. Um, we haven't seen them in the other three episodes. That's that's something to, that we can talk about. But, uh, yeah, I thought all the stuff with Magic Man was super interesting. I didn't really know if he was going to play a role um, in much of this, but I, I guess he is to a certain extent. But just seeing how all this is going to connect together uh, is going to be quite crazy. And I think what we got here was a lot to digest. And, of course, we will digest it um, in just a second. But I enjoyed it, but also, like, it was, I, like, enjoyed it's not even the right word. Like, I just watched it, and I was just, like, whoa, what what did I even watch? Like, this is going to take some time to process. But, yeah, um, yeah, it was good. Brad? Um, I didn't know what the hell happened the first time, and I didn't know whether or not I enjoyed it the first time around. Uh, and then I, I uh, read some analysis online and watched it again, and, and I enjoyed it more each time. A lot of people seem to be, like, really confused by it. I didn't find it all that confusing. Um, I think it was pretty straightforward. Uh, like Justin said in his recap, Betty was looking for the essence of magic, which has a lot to do with sadness and madness, um, and and uh, Magic Man wanted to transmogrify or somewhere like that into Glob's, uh, get Glob's power through his helmet so he could use the transporter to get back to Mars and wreak havoc. But instead of that happening, his magical powers got transmogrified into uh, Betty. A lot of people are saying that Betty put on Magic Man's hat, and that's what gave her magic powers. I don't think that's correct. I think it was the process that gave her the powers. Right. Um, I really liked all the stuff with Margles. I thought Jillian Jacobs did a great job as Margles. Gillian, sorry. Gillian Jacobs did a great job as Margles. And, um, as much as I, I don't care for Lena Dunham, I'm starting to warm to her as Betty. Uh yeah, I, uh, I I dug it. I, I I the other thing that I like about this now is it gives us an out for for um, Ice King and Betty to just to be together again, but not have to have Simon not be Ice King anymore, uh, because they can just be crazy magic people together. Um, and apparently you forgot your floaties. Simon saying that at the end was related to tarot. Um, this is something that I saw some people say on Reddit, and I and I it makes sense to me. Apparently the there was a lot of tarot. I don't know what religion tarot comes from, but there was a lot of tarot card iconography here, and a crab is something I forget what it's even related to. But you forgot your floaties was supposed to mean like she tried to get into the deep end, but she was in over her head, and then she became magic woman, magic Betty, um, and now she's nuts. She's got her madness that she was looking for, and I loved, loved that we got some uh, Mars backstory, and that uh, Golb came back from Pahoy, the red deity that we saw Finn bounce off of after he died. In I mean, that makes, that makes Pahoy canon, in a way. I mean, it really does. It means it's not this sort of... It attaches itself to the greater lore of Ooh. Right. Like, Finn... I, I think Pahoy was always canon, but I think what you're trying to say is that it makes Pillow Town, like, part of... Reality. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's 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 tethered. It's not a place just in Finn's mind. Right. Um, like, Finn it, probably died. I mean, in some way, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like um, what that makes Golb and why Mars would fear him or why he would need to come to Mars and, and 
cause a ruckus is is a you know another conversation. But um, right. But there's also so there's an interesting um, production like uh, rendering from the episode Astral Plane where they showed Mars and they showed Golb with his back to the to the viewer. So Golb and Mars have been. We know that there's always been intention for Golb and Mars to be connected. I think that Glob wasn't a god at all, and that he wore a helmet that looks like gold um, in reaction to gold. Um, we can talk more about that later when we get into Orgolorg, but uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, I loved it. And uh, yeah, like you said, I love that it brings more importance to Pahoy, which is my favorite episode. Uh, you know, another little thing that I think that needs to be pointed out that really strengthens perhaps in in a separate way the, the, the idea of Betty and Simon being together um, tethered by ambition she went into that chamber knowing that she was trying to take those trying to, to do something to disrupt this process um, because you know even their conversation before it began was her kind of scheming away and feeling out a way into what he claimed was an empty vastness, uh, you know, basically saying that you're not going to find anything that you can use against me. You're not going to find any deeper meaning. I'm going to be fine. You're going to sit there. I'm going to get your essence, and I'm going to become a god. And he knew right away what to pull out. Right away, as soon as she brought up Margols, um, even though he, he got all defensive about it, she must have read that as something she could use because as soon as she got in there. She threw on the Margle mask, and that's when that big sort of a part of him up, and she went sliding into him, and it caused this sort of flashback um, scene. And again, I'll that out of the details because it's so crazy. You sort of, um, it's hard to, again, unpack it. I feel like she went in scheming, knowing that she was going to and take his magic. Yeah, probably. I also think. Just a little. The continuity all week this week has been amazing. But one tiny bit of continuity that I loved was that they showed Glob without his helmet because that's before Magic Man became a jerk. Because when he lost Margles for the second time was when they said when he, when she fell off Olympus Mons. That's when Abraham Lincoln, the King of Mars, said he became a jerk. And Glob said, "This is all in Sons of Mars." That he made all the Martians' hair fall out, or or, or that maybe they had to eat their hair. I forget. But that's why he put the helmet on. But when he had hair, he didn't need the helmet. He was just four floating heads, which is just awesome. So great continuity. Um, let's, keep, let's keep it going. Uh, Kev, we had a Lumpy Space Princess heavy episode. Why don't you take us through it? Oh, yes, we did. That's what it was called, Be Sweet. Um, LSP is getting seemingly pretty tired of living in the woods, especially because she has to fend for her food against all of the animals in nature. Uh, at the beginning of this episode, we see her wrestling with a raccoon over a piece of fried chicken. And as she falls into this uh, this mud pit while she's fighting the raccoon, she gets a call. And she seems excited about it, and it turns out it is from Tree Trunks, who has invited her over to babysit for Sweet Pea while her and Mr. Pig go out. And LSP is really excited about this because she gets to be indoors away from nature and pamper herself that she how she feels she deserves as a princess. And before they leave, Tree Trunks lays out this very intricate way in which she puts Sweet Pea to bed because she says that you need to be sweet to him for him to go to bed. And LSP kind of blows this off and says, yeah, yeah, I'll do all that and sends them away. 
And because her aim is to just relax, she baits Sweet Pea back into his bedroom by rolling a frozen pizza in there. He follows to eat it, and she shuts him in there and puts the table in front of the door so he can't leave. And so she pampers herself, and the raccoon uh, comes back to the window, and she shuts that out. And meanwhile, Sweet Pea finishes the pizza and goes to the door saying that he's ready to go to sleep and ready for her to be sweet to him, but... Uh, LSP is listening to music and can't hear him, and so he looks up at the moon and uh, theorizes that there's someone who will be sweet to him outside. So he bursts through the wall and goes away. Uh, meanwhile, LSP is in the bathtub talking to Marceline on the phone when the raccoon comes through the toilet and she shoots it in the face with apple shampoo. And the raccoon basically says, you're putting on a facade of being here. You're not a good person. You wrecks everything that you that you come by and you deserve to live out in the woods because that's the type of person you are. And she denies it and says, you know, look, they trust me with babies. And she goes to get Sweet Pea out of the room and Sweet Pea is gone. Uh, he, again, is out looking for someone to be sweet to him. You know, asking a homeless guy, stopping a car, uh, even breaking into a home with other parents who are putting their kids to bed just simply asking, will you be sweet to me? And of course, he's huge, so this is terrifying. And uh, they call the banana guards to come and get him. And so LSP freaks out when she notices that Sweepy is gone, so she goes to find him, uh, and she asks some banana guards. Uh, and she's, she's kind of making a scene, so the banana guards decide to take her into the police station, but she grabs one of their donuts on the way over there, and when she gets to the police station, she finds Sweepy, who is sobbing and the banana guards are trying to make him feel better but he feels better when LSP finds him and they embrace and LSP goes through the intricate process that uh, Tree Trunks told her so she was listening after all to put him to sleep and Tree Trunks and Mr. Pig come home to find their house a mess because her and Raccoon had gotten to a fight earlier and LSP says well you know me and Sweet Pea now have a bond so I will graciously accept your offer of being your permanent live-in nanny and Tree Trunks and Mr. Pig just shut the door on her. And we, we, she goes outside, and there's the raccoon with the piece of fried chicken, and they kind of share it. So in a way, it's like she's accepting that, you know what, maybe, I, maybe this is intended how I'm supposed to live. Maybe, maybe I am that kind of person. But then the episode ends with Tree Trunks going to Sweepy Bedside, and Sweepy says that he had the dream again where he was a comet boy, and explaining basically that he sees a comet coming towards Ooh. And I love the episode, obviously, very LSP heavy. I can see why some people wouldn't necessarily like it in this week specifically, because I think all of us were expecting very heavy uh, episodes with storyline implications going forward, but I think the comet thing at the end uh, was pretty big. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. What did you think about it, Brad? Well, um, I think it's okay that most of the episode wasn't so storyline heavy because it was meant, I believe, to cause anxiety because you're supposed to worry that, um, you know, if LSP doesn't do her job, then Sweepy becomes the lich and, um, and you know, everything goes to hell, which, uh, as we'll, we'll, I'll talk about in a minute when we talk about Orgolorg, is, is a bit of a red herring. Um, I like... A couple of things here. I liked that. I liked that. Uh, I especially enjoyed when she called Marceline, and Marceline was pulling bugs out of her stomach. Oh, it was so gross. It was really weird, <laughs> but I thought it was very funny. 
and I like we haven't seen Marceline in a while, and, and it was just cool to get her back on. on I, I do have to say one of my favorite lines when LSP is just like, "Oh my God, refrigerators! They're so great! I forget how thankful I am for them." Yeah, when she's eating all the food. It's also pretty good when she's like, um, "This music is so much better than Al's hoots." <laughs> yes. <laughs> It was, it was a funny episode, and I liked that the raccoon, which spoke in you know a distorted, lumpy space princess voice, was obviously the it was like her her psyche telling her like you you don't deserve this stuff. Look how you're acting. Like you are not the kind of person who should have nice things, and this is why. So it was it was a referendum on LSP. It was a little bit of character rehab, and it was funny. And then at the end, you know, we got to know for sure the comet is is coming. So, the real comment. Um, Justin, what did you think? Yeah, I like that character rehab. I think that's a really good way of putting it because you don't have to change. And we see the next episode, you know, that she is not fundamentally changed at all. Um, she's still the same LSP. But uh, what you get is just this idea where it definitively shows you that she can be good, but it requires you know, that patience that you saw sort of in the early episodes that Finn would always show her where, you know, uh, like everyone would just go out of their way to make sure that she felt like a princess, like she was pampered. And in that way, when she's kind of shown that, uh, uh, that kind of kindness, that overabundance of kindness, she can rise to the challenge. Uh, and on the other side of things, she has that negative part of herself that she can kind of look at and say, no, I, I can be a good person and self-motivate, but it just it takes a lot, and she's just unwilling to do it. That's that's sort of what maturity is. Maturity is your ability to rise, uh, you know, above the low expectations of people around you or even yourself and, you know, uh, achieve. And she just doesn't... It's a lot easier to just eat fried chicken with a raccoon uh, than it is to... You know, to earn earn things, to really earn something. Uh, so I thought that was it's probably my favorite LSP story, start to finish. Um, outside of maybe the one with uh, where she meets the guy uh, with the time traveling dealy and bleeps him into nothingness. Yes, yeah, time. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, bad time. Yeah, I yeah. really like. I still really like the uh, the episode with her and Marceline at the Breakfast Kingdom a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they kept that going too. I, that she's kind of—we haven't seen her in Turtle Princess in forever. Um, so well, I guess not, she's, she's obviously a social climber because now she has Marceline, so she doesn't need Turtle Princess. <laughs> maybe or maybe Turtle there. Princess found a man, and uh, maybe or, or found a relationship. Is, is Turtle him. Princess the one who says, "Hey, girl"? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's right. Um, so, yeah, you know what? You guys got more for this one? I think I'm laying on something crunchy. It's like fried chicken. Oh my god, it is fried chicken. Yeah, that was the best. There's so many great little <laughs> moments that really, like, when you said character rehab, really, that that really sunk in is what it was. It's, let's make this character a violent rapist and make her um, just self-absorbed and fun. Have that. Everything has to be center, except for the witch. Everything has to have something <laughs> Um, otherwise, it doesn't quite fit with the show, and so got that little more about her, the way that she remembered every little bit about how to put him to sleep, and how she really felt like she did it with care, and really wanted him to feel loved. Um, and then the thing at the end, tethering to 
the comet, what I think makes that important is that it means that the legit player in this, or at least there, of, of the surroundings of what's going on, um, and, you know, with Martin and everything else, it, it, this, you know, it, it's going to be a factor. This is not independent of the Lich. Right, well, we know uh, that... There's a good distinction. We know for gonna sure be. that's going to happen because in Hoots, we know the Lich, Martin, Gunter, and Finn all have to end up in the same place at some point. Indeed. Speaking of Gunter as part of this, let's talk about Orgolorg. Um, I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible because I feel like this is the most dense of the episodes this week. But um, uh, so it starts with uh, Ice King goes to the fridge. Well, first it starts with Ice King making a yamaka for his belly, uh, which is relevant in my world. I'll, I'll get to that when we talk about the episode. Then he goes to the fridge to get some cheesecake. Gunter's in there with the other penguins. They they all want to put him to sleep with some uh, a sleeping grenade. So Ice King takes the cheesecake and eventually does. Get, uh, Gunter does release the sleep grenade on him and he passes out. They have a party. Lumpy Space Princess is invited. It's a raucous like college party. And then uh, they have some. Uh, they have a walrus race and LSP gets a little too uh, excited about it. She goes in and she starts hitting the walruses and then one of them attacks her. And because she is she is Gunter's guest of honor, Gunter goes to save her. But then he has a vision of a comet coming at him when the walrus starts charging him and he just lets it happen gets a bump on the head, and his brain like, spills out. I keep calling him him when we know it's a her now. Although now we know it's an it because uh, Gunter's new brain releases old thoughts, old memories. Uh, he creates these, these totems, and he strings them together with, uh, uh, telepathically and um, uses them to uh, communicate with this planet that knows him as the world breaker Orgolorg, uh, a, a, a terrible ancient solar system controlling monster that we actually saw for the first time back in um, Gold Star during Sweet Pea's um, uh, flashback to the time before darkness when there were monsters. We saw Orgolorg there. Um, anyway, uh, he, he it, it, it uh, incurs the screams of this alien civilization which shock Gunter and frighten him and he smashes all the totems. And that wakes up Ice King who finds Gunter and brings him uh, back to the throne where he carefully puts shoves Gunter's brain back into his head and then gives him a bandage and then shows him in a mirror that he's okay and Gunter has a vision of, of himself as Orgolorg. But I neglected to say I left out a whole part where uh, Orgolorg tried to merge with a Catalyst Comet, which is what these comets are called, I guess, and that uh, offended the King of Mars, who sent Glob to strike down Orgolorg. He did that. Uh, Orgolorg got struck down to Earth, where Earth's gravity compressed him into Gunter, and that's all that. Um, Kevin, thoughts on this heavy-duty episode? Well, I guess we know what Gunter's deal is now. Uh, they've been Hinting and, you know, Hunts and Abadir flat out said that there's an evil presence in Gunter, and now we know exactly what it is. What it does, we don't really know. Like, you know, with all the, the wood carving stuff was interesting, and, you know, what the Orgolorg plays in part to the comet and everything else is still, still unknown. You know, we know, you know, a little bit about its past, but where, how it's going to play into it, I think we still need 
some answers on. So I'm curious about how that's going to go because the preview clearly states that the Orgolord will return in the in the comment. Um, but yeah, this is this is very fascinating to watch. This is one of those episodes where it was really fun in the beginning, but then once Gunter's brain got exposed, I was just glued to the screen until the very end and just listening to the 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 history of the Orgolord and all that was super fascinating and yeah, it makes me super. The finales in the future, Justin. That was you guys. What did you say, Justin? Oh, I thought I lost you guys. Okay. Could you uh, not hear? Could, was Kevin all garbly there for you? A little bit, yeah. Okay, not so bad. All right, go ahead, Justin. Okay. Um, so yeah, there. This one is is much more, um, uh, even more abstract, I think, than uh, the episode. You know. Um, with the Magic Man episode, uh, this one, I mean, the shapes that are cut out, I mean, obviously one of them was, was Abraham Lincoln. Um, it's The other shapes, one of them was Orgelorg itself, um, was, was in the shape of Orgelorg, and the other ones, I'm assuming, are, are some sort of, I mean, you have to, you have to just guess. I mean, there's no way well, that one you could just know. One was, a, one was the Comet. Right. Um, and then I couldn't tell what any of the other ones that he had were, but when he was in his workshop, you could see that he had cut out one that looks a lot like death. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I remember seeing that. There was a, and there were another one, a couple other ones that you just thought, what, what are these for? Right. Um, how do these work together? Um, and it's becoming clear that this catalyst of change uh, that's coming, which I, I don't. I, I wasn't sure if Kevin said this. Did you say it was Organ Lord that was coming? I said that when I read the description of the finale, Orgolorg was listed as being there as part of it. The the synopsis of the very last episode, um, the comet. It says Finn, Jake, and Orgolorg meet the com uh, approach the comet to meet with their destinies. So we know that Gunter will become Orgolorg in some way in the finale. Well, that's the thing, is that I don't think... I mean, Gunther is Orgolorg, in a sense. I mean, a lot of it's been repressed over years, and that was crazy, that Orgolorg's just been here this entire time uh, as this sort of suppressed being um, throughout history. And, uh, you know, obviously you can understand the frustration as being this, you know, all-powerful being, um, being uh, subservient to uh, a lesser creature like Ice King has got to be frustrating. I also go back to, you know, you go back to the dream from the, the episode Hoots. Uh, the essence of uh, Gunther, what is she hanging on? A giant ball. Yeah. She's the one that has her hand. I don't know what that means necessarily. Yeah, yeah for sure. Kevin, mute your mic. And you see Sweet Pea kind of book it, you know. Uh, I believe in that dream. I really it makes me want to go back and have to watch the beginning of that episode because it, it's clear that's going to have some, you know. And I'm talking about something that's happening tomorrow, essentially. So, um, uh, but just still want to go back and kind of theorize on it. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, this catalyst of change. Do you think this is going to be good or bad or bad or what? What is it that's coming? Well, it seems like well, there's a few things here. First. Before I get into this, your point, I just want to say this episode was uh, written and storyboarded by Graham Falk, who did Sad Face and Shh and uh, Root Beer Guy and Ghostfly. 
so it had a bit of that Charlie Brownish, smaller eyes, more, if it's even possible, more cartoony look to it, especially the walrus racing and the aliens. So I thought that was very interesting that they that they that they elected to have him do this episode. Although it gave it also a bit of a sense of otherworldliness, because he that's what made it. Yeah, those, those creatures and the the sort of the move uh, of everything. It felt very otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure, and it also he's he's really the only storyboard artist that has such a distinct visual style um, of the canonical guys. So it was, I don't know, it was, it was an interesting choice. I was a little bit annoyed with it at first, and then I got used to it. Um, and then as uh, as for all these theories about the catalyst of change, okay, so people are going like crazy with their theories about what the comets mean and what the colors of the comets mean and. You know, was Mart did Martin count as a comet? How come Glob died when he was attacking um, Martin, but he survived when he was attacking um, uh, Orgolorg? How is Golb going to play into this? Uh, my feeling is, I, like you said, Justin, it's weird. We only have to wait 24 hours to find out. Um, and it's interesting that we'll be releasing this podcast before, you know, once people hear this, they'll have seen everything. But but I like that we're doing it this way. Um but I feel like it's got to be Golb, the Lich, whether he's released or not. Um, uh, Gunther as Orgolorg, or or just as or just in that Gunther shape because he might just be permanently in that shape because of gravity. And Martin and Finn all have to be there. So a lot of people think Finn was a former catalyst of change that came down in a blue comet. Uh, the Lich was one. Orgolorg was one, and. What colors left? You've got blue for evergreen, orange for um, blue for evergreen, which would also have been Finn, orange for Orgolorg, which would also have been the fire guy. I forget his name. Uh, uh, purple, which is the one that's coming now, for Chanceberry, which might also be gold. And then there's green for the Lich, which was also Slimy Deep. So is it who's purple? Is it gold? Do you guys think it's gold? I don't. I don't read a whole bunch in the the color. I guess. Um, I. Uh, I think you know. You know. It's funny I, that I keep going back to for whatever reason. Um, that I. I wonder whether uh, Jake is going to survive this episode. Yeah, Jake. Uh, well, well, what do you think? If he doesn't survive, he has to come back. The show doesn't work without Jake. We're. I think we're starting to get into this mode the same way that Finn would lose his arm eventually. We're getting to this place where it's starting to be faded that Jake is going to die. Um, there's a Why? lot. Why? There's just a lot of little indicators. Um, some log Huber has about perhaps um, Jake being buried uh, in the soil where he was digging past. A thousand years in the future. A thousand years in the future. Well, right. I mean, certainly, but that doesn't mean that he died. That day, that doesn't mean he didn't die well before that. What I'm saying is, uh, another thing is that uh, Jake being fated to meet um, Lincoln and playing some sort of role there. And I think at this point, we know where Lincoln Well, we theorize where Lincoln is. And if Jake dies, uh, maybe he runs into him down there. And that continues the story. Certainly, it would involve his resurrection. He already met Lincoln. He met Lincoln. Right, but I, I mean, that already said, happened. 
Right. He said uh, the the dog that you were fated to meet, but for what? For for a second? And that was it? Yeah, I think because that was what ended up killing the King of Mars once and for all. This is the dog you were fated to meet. Oh, we killed him by accident. This is your destiny, big Abe, and now you're going to be a statue for the rest of eternity. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if he's gone forever. Especially if he's gone forever, why is the first totem that Oregon would draws Lincoln? Because it was part. I think because it was part of his story. Lincoln was the one who sent Gold uh, Glob to, to strike him down. I don't think Abe. Uh, I don't think Jake's going to die. But you brought up something else that I think is worth touching on. You know, you know, we said Finn's arm, which was fated to go. I read an article recently about like Finn and the hero's journey and how people were upset, myself included, were upset about him um, getting his arm back so quickly. But that thorn in his hand, right? It's not his arm. It's this. It's like uh, Breezy gave him a fake arm, just like Bubblegum gave him a fake arm. But Breezy's fake arm was better. The only difference, the only flaw in Breezy's arm is it has a thorn in the hand. On kingofu.tumblr.com, one of the big finale. Um, posters had a comment on it, and another one had Finn's hand with a thorn coming out of his arm. So that, or out of his hand. So that's got. I feel like that has to play into the next two episodes in some way. The last two episodes in some way. They've gone back to it. You know, they made mention of it and pointed at it uh, a few times. So yeah, that, you're right. That's probably uh, going to be a fa- again a factor in some way. You know, who who the the heck knows at this point? Um, but I don't know. I feel like um, a character dying, especially considering that all Bubblegum has ever dealt with on this show is trying to raise the dead. Um, it sort of makes you wonder, not all she's ever dealt with, but she spent a lot of time trying to raise the dead. And considering that she knows how to clone, uh, it's been kind of an interesting why would she bother to do that. Um, I think that has potential to come back. I'm just, I'm calling it now. I think, uh, I don't think Jake's going to die this episode, but I think at some point in the series, Jake is going to die. I, I feel like Jake already died. You know, he died in Sons of Mars and that's 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 my theory. But okay, you're on the record. Um, here's another question. A couple of hanging chads from this season. Do we get any of Jake's real mother in the finale, the shapeshifter? Does Susan Strong play in at all, or are those things saved for a later date? Refresh me on what Jake's mom did. Jake's real mother is an alien, a shape-shifting alien, who impregnated Jake's father's brain with Jake. Okay. Um, Susan Strong is Susan Strong. Right, of course. Um, I, I think no. I think we already have so many players on the field for what's going to go down, specifically with the incident of the comet, or comets, rather, that I think... You're starting to get a crowded elevator if you throw in Susan Strong and or Jake's mother into this. I think there's already enough importance on this. There's already enough people who are involved. And and it, it almost feels like it would be shoehorning them in just for the sake of shoehorning them in at this point. I think keeping them separate keeps them also to be stronger and more special characters. I think globbing them onto this, no pun intended, is just not the best idea. Yeah, this feels like a Finn story to me. Um, <clears throat> it feels like uh, focused on anything else. Like I, I couldn't see. Um, I mean, I, I could see them potentially playing 
you know, parts there. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, if the whole idea of this comic coming is that you're rounding up gods and demons and whatever, uh, whatever, you know, creatures of power. I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised to see a creature of um, whatever Jake is there, uh, and maybe make some comment recognizing him or something, you know, something like that. Um, and um, yeah, the Susan stuff. I, I don't know. There, I don't know how you'd fit that in with how much is going on. Um, I don't expect Adventure Time doesn't like to give answers in the same episode that they actually do a thing. They like to do a thing and let it resonate for a little bit and really kind of rattle around, and then they'll kind of go back and explain it or um, you know give it give it context. So I think we're gonna get a big to do, and I think maybe in one of the later episodes where Finn is coming to grips with it, uh, involving Susan in some way with Smart, but not in this episode. I don't think so. I agree. I agree with both of you guys. I don't think they'll bring in Susan, and I, I also actually, the more I think about it, don't think they'll bring in uh, Jake's biological parent. Um, one last thing here. Let me just real quick run through On the Lamb, uh, the the penultimate episode before the double finale. Uh, Martin is in prison in, on, in a space colony for um, betting on lard, space lard fighting. Justin, please mute your microphone. And um, he he Justin, I'm not actually doing anything. I know. Can you mute your microphone? Surely. Thank you. Um. I'm just gonna wait till it's muted. There it is. All right, sweet. Um, he it's just uh, when when there's extra sound, it just causes like issues with Google Hangouts. Anyway, um, he's breaking rocks. He notices uh, an opportunity to escape, um, so he does so. He licks a monster and uses that monster's teeth to cut himself free. Um, so he escapes with this koala bear little guy that he's attached to, to the koala bear's um, lair, who, uh, because he's helped to escape by these um, rebels that are the same species as the koala bear. They go back to his lair. Uh, he tricks them into stealing their moth, but he's still connected to the koala, to the bear that he was chained to, because that thing just latches onto his face, and he loves it like Finn. He calls it Martin too. It reminds him of Finn. Um, and then he takes the moth under the guise of using it to find food, but then he sells the moth, and then he gets, uh, he thinks that he's being pursued for being the rebel leader, but it turns out that the little bear is the rebel leader. Um, and then he runs into the king of this planet's, uh, this baby, you know, it's a child king of this planet's uh, uh, treasure room. He steals a bunch of treasure. The moth is there. He jumps on the moth and escapes into space, and that's the end. Literally, like, nothing happens in this episode that's interesting, except it's a point A to point B thing for Martin. Uh, to get back to ooh, do you guys do either of you guys have anything important to say about this episode before I get back into final forecasting for the finale? I just hate that Martin is such a jerk. Like you know, LSB has tendencies to be a jerk, but there's also good parts of her, and she at least recognizes when she does jerky things that they're jerky things. Martin's just a relentless, just jerk, and does nothing but bad stuff, and it makes me it makes me upset watching these episodes. So. Yeah, I just I didn't enjoy watching it from that perspective. I guess it might achieve its goal. We'll see how it goes down with Martin's involvement in the last two episodes. But yeah, this just I could have just done without this, to be honest. I really liked this episode for that reason. I liked it 
I, you know, I, ever, I thought they were going to turn him and show that there was some positive side to him, and I don't, I don't need that. You know, like there's not a. I mean, there, there obviously there are positive shades to him. He, he, you know, tried to save the little guy in his own stupid way and tried to call attention. But as soon as he saw the little guy himself, kind of, he just said, "Well, bye," uh, and abandoned him. Um, I like that Martin is continually selfish, and I like that it's never. He never succeeds. He's never showing as, uh, you know, he's, it's showing, because uh, you got to think, again, this is still a kid's show, no matter what. Uh, you don't want them seeing someone continually be selfish and thrive on it. And this, this is best yet. Rich, he's flying off into space, and there's nothing. There's this empty hollowness to him uh, that, at the end of the episode, that I thought was so important to show that maybe is that the catalyst where he finally figures out this is the thing that he's been trying to do for so long, get rich and go flying off into space. Now he has it, and he, it's, there's no purpose. It's completely purposeless. He's just sort of now he's just sort of flying through space looking for another way to cause havoc. Um, so I, for that reason, I liked it. I liked the little creatures. I liked the turn that it, it turned out that the other creature was the rebel. Um, uh, so I didn't. I didn't think it was you know anything special, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I probably would have liked this more if it was in a different place in the season. And I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with doing sort of like a cool down episode right before the finale. Um, it's just like I was so jazzed up on everything that happened, and Orgolorg was so big, and the finale is probably going to be so big um, that it just sort of like. But and I also don't have a problem with Martin being a jerk. It is frustrating to watch, but I think. I agree. I think there's going to be a little bit of redemption in some way or another um, in the finale. Okay. Let, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just another point. I'm always looking for things to tether to Finn and Martin, and this one there was a really significant one, and it's how each person approaches freedom. Um, with Finn, there's this sort of responsibility and nobility that comes with freedom um, that, you know, you see he sees a problem and he fixes it. You know, that's that's what he does. And he just kind of goes around and, and that's part of what he perceives freedom to be. Um, and Martin's is the other. His is kind of the negative side of... of his, in that there's no reliability. There's no accountability. This person with freedom will abandon you at the first, you know, the first chance they get in an essence to preserve that freedom because that's more important to them than your life. Um, so I think that's important to both people, uh, but just they go about pursuing it and using it in totally different ways. It will be interesting to see when Martin and Susan Strong meet at some point. Indeed. Yeah, if that's a if that's a thing, uh, which I hope it is. I uh, think their characters are are drawn and built very similarly, and I do not think that is a mistake. I know that, that's why that horrifies Justin so much. Oh God, yes. Um, I think you guys had a lot more to say about this than, than I imagined you could. I, I will say it was nice to hear Martin talk so fondly of Finn in this episode. Um, Did he? Because he was like, you have that stupid little hat he wears. Yeah, but he, he was like endearingly. He was like, you remind, you remind me of my son. You know, he, it means he's thinking of him. Kind of, I guess. I don't, he abandoned again. What? <laughs> he abandoned an old... No, he didn't abandon him until he realized that it was an old man. I don't know. I think he looked at him, and maybe that's the reason he abandoned Finn the first time. He saw because Finn was an old man. Maybe no, because it wasn't just about being an old man. It was about 
the ninja stuff, going, oh, he's he's capable. But then he saw that you know he was he was you know old as heck, and he just got out of there. There's no, nothing to take care of. There's no no heroics needed. Right, and we don't know why he abandoned Finn the first time yet. No, we we have no idea. I mean, I'm just again, it's uh, trying to extrapolate just from from that experience. I don't think it was a positive. I don't think he. I don't think he said anything nice about Finn at all in the episode. It was nice to me, based on what we know about this character. It's nice that he thinks about Finn at all. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a sliding slope. Yeah, it's you know you got to take people at their own. You got to all things in their own house. Last bit of business before we sign off. Um, in the episode Gold Stars, when Sweet Pea is making his lich speech, and we see all the monsters, and Orglorg is there. There is also a monster with bleeding eyes that looks a lot like Finn. Is Finn something more? Is the fact that he thinks that he was a comet in a previous life? Is the fact that someone that looks kind of like a mix between Finn and like it's like Finn's head and Shoko's body after Shoko had been irradiated? Is Finn a catalyst? I, potentially, I, I mean, I think Finn is. Um, we don't. We still don't know what this catalyst is. It's etymology. We don't know anything about it. I certainly think the fact that Finn. We don't know Finn's mother. Um, I, again, I a long time ago, I think I said that I thought Finn's mother would turn out to be Ooh. That I thought Ooh birthed Finn to be its hero because it was either a dark time or dark times were coming, and in anticipation of that, Ooh births Finn. Um, that could still be. That could be what this catalyst was. I don't know. I don't know how they worked that in. Um, but I, I haven't been able to reconcile what I thought originally and what I think now. Uh, but I certainly think, I don't think he's only human. Fair enough. Um, Kevin, talk to us about snails. Unmute your microphone. You didn't say please. Sorry, I was in the bathroom. Uh, okay, so, yes, the snails. Uh, in You Forgot Your Floaties, he is by a tin can when Betty is going through a flashback montage of her viewing people who have magic powers to try to get the essence of it, and that is when she is uh, looking at Abraka Daniel. In Be Sweet, when uh, the pig, Mr. Pig, and tree trunks come home and see their house is destroyed. The snail is uh, sitting by a toaster on the floor. In Orgalorg, he is on the Ice King's keyboard the second time they show the keyboard. And in uh, what the last episode, I forget what it was called, uh, On the Lamb, uh, they show it when uh, Martin is climbing the steps towards the king of the area where all the gold is and stuff, and they say to get him. That's what the snails were this week. Great. We'll do our plugs in our in part two of this podcast when we discuss the finale. So you can click stop on this one and go ahead and start listening to that one. I flipped the pig.